0: Hello and welcome back to The Andrew Hain Show. In today's episode, Andrew sat down with Elisa Padilla, the Senior VP of Creative Strategy and Partnership Marketing at Rock Nation. Elisa is an award-winning marketer with a diverse background in sports entertainment. Experienced in high-stakes efforts with high-visibility brands, she specializes in strategic marketing that directly affects the bottom line. Most recently, Lisa led the 2018 rebranding of the MLB's Miami Marlins, successfully led the brand transformation as the NBA Nets relocated to Brooklyn, and created the award-winning branding campaign for the Nets, Hello Brooklyn. Lisa also led marketing efforts for the NHL's New York Islanders, who began playing at Barclays Center in the fall of 2015. We hope you enjoy. Support for The Andrew Hain Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code AGH at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code AGH. Your balls will thank you.
1: All right, well we're going to have another good show today. We've got a brilliant creative mind. Um, You know, she's an award-winning marketer, diverse background in sports and entertainment. Excited to have her over uh, for a little time here. So thanks for joining me, Elisa.
2: Thank you so much, Andrew, for inviting me to be on your show. I'm really excited to be here with you today.
1: Yeah. Well, let's jump into it. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got your start and kind of your journey along the way.
2: Sure, absolutely. So I have been in sport and entertainment for 25 plus years. I started my career right off the gate um, with an NBA team, the New York Knicks. And I started as a marketing assistant, which was great because the person that I worked for literally took me under her wing and taught me everything there was to know about marketing. And after spending a few years there, I had the opportunity to move on to Disney Sports um, when they opened up um, Disney's Wide World of Sports a couple of years back. Um, so I had the opportunity to move to Orlando and work on different sports, not just basketball. My time there was very short because after I had been there for a couple months, they decided to do a restructuring and I wasn't ready to give up sports To do theme park marketing so came back to new jersey and landed a job at the nba working in the events and attractions department where it was a great opportunity because i got to work with all nba teams so that was really cool and i got to go to lots of cities throughout the country you know, places like Utah, Seattle, which I probably would have never gone to. So that was really, really exciting. And during my first year at the NBA, I decided to go back to school to get my NBA in marketing because I thought that it was really, really important to have that next level of education just to make me a better marketer. So was with the NBA, had an amazing five-year run there. Then after I got my NBA, I decided one of the things that was really, really important to me, Andrew, was to have a diversified background. I wanted to be a marketer where I can have a conversation about any vertical in marketing. So decided to go work on the media side, took a job at Nickelodeon, really understood the media, the television side, learned about programming. And from Nickelodeon, I went on to HBO Sports and learned about boxing, learned about multicultural marketing, learned about, okay, how are you going to get someone to click a button and pay $49.99 for a pay-per-view fight? So that was really, really exciting. And at that time, and I don't want to date myself, but mobile phones started to bubble up. So it was like, okay, you know what? How do, how am I going to immerse myself and continue to diversify my background and learn about mobile and technology? So I had the opportunity to go work for AT&T and really understand the tech, the mobile marketing, understand retail marketing, and really understand the third screen, right? Because you had the television, the computer, and now this mobile screen. So... I spent two and a half years at AT&T, amazing run, and I led the marketing efforts to open up the first company-owned store in Chinatown, New York for AT&T, which was a huge, huge deal. So I you know that landscape, and then I got a call from a recruiter that they were looking to fill a position with the Nets. Um, for an arena that they were going to be opening up in um, Brooklyn. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, and it was very interesting because the recruiter said to me, the reason that we think that you're a good candidate is because you have a diversified background and you're going to bring something different to the team. So I was like, okay, so I'm on track. That
1: worked, yay. (laughs) Right?
2: (laughs) So took a job, started with the Nets in November of 2010, and I, ironically enough, when I went on the interview, they were interviewing for the marketing position on the arena side, and it just so happened. I interviewed on a Friday, and that Monday, the director of marketing for the team had resigned. So I left the interview, and I called the recruiter. I said, listen, I don't know if you know this, but the team, um, the director of marketing for the team resigned. That's the job that I really want. So anyway long story short i joined the nets in november of 2010 and i had an amazing run there i was there for seven years and worked worked on the team side 18 i started 18 months before the move to brooklyn so did the move to brooklyn and we'll talk about that whole process in a little bit but was there had an amazing run i worked not only on the nets i eventually took over marketing for barclay center when the islanders came over from nassau i led the marketing efforts for that and then also helped launch the long island nets which was the g league um the g league team for the Nets. i then you know i got a call from apple and they were looking to fill a position and similar to when disney called it was just like okay well if apple's calling you answer um mm. so make the decision to leave Brooklyn and moved to Cupertino and accepted a position as head of marketing, I'm sorry, head of product launch for Apple. And I was only there for a few months because after I was there for a month, um, September 19, 2017, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. So my life completely turned upside down. And I won't go into those details, but for very personal reasons, I came back to New York. I took a job at Howard Hughes um, in the city and started working on, they were launching a rooftop venue and they were opening up um, uh, a multi, um, multi what is, multi-use, excuse me, multi-use um, complex. So it was gonna be restaurants, it was gonna be a venue, shops, so worked on that for a few months, and then I had a colleague from AT and T who would have, who, would have, who came down and saw the project and said to me, he was like, he's like, Elisa, would you ever relocate again? And I said to him, I said, I will only relocate if it gets me closer to Puerto Rico. So he said, oh, he goes, I know the gentleman who was just named the president of the Miami Marlins. He's like, do you mind if I make an intro? So he made an intro, long story short, in June of 2018, I accepted a job with the Miami Marlins as SVP of marketing and community relations at the time and was there for almost two years, led the rebrand of that team, which was an, an incredible experience. Love Miami, I mean, just love that city. And after working, no one warned me about the schedule in baseball. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, it's like game after games after games. Um, yeah. I'm like, this is way too much. So anyway, I mean, long story short, I decided to come back to New York and I accepted a position at the beginning of actually in February of this year at Rock Nation and was reunited with my former CEO from the Nats. And I took a position as senior vice president of creative strategy and partnership marketing. And unfortunately, like so many other people, I have I was put on furlough eight weeks into my job. So I'm going on six, five months now of being on furlough. So yeah, it's been um, it's been quite a journey this 2020. It's just like it's been tough.
1: Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's unpredictable and
2: and yeah
1: and nuts but i i like to go back to where you um started you were with the knicks the knicks were my team yeah in the 90s uh i don't say i don't consider myself having a team now but uh, i was like high school and then out of school at that time so it uh i was a big john starks fan
2: me too uh,
1: my favorite player my favorite player so i had a starks jersey and So that's cool. I used to go up there as a kid. My aunt lived in New York City. So I would always go up to uh, Knicks games. So it was kind of fun.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I was there during the glory days and it was an incredible run. And I have so many fond memories of that job. And I remember being in Houston when the Knicks were playing the Rockets during the finals and John Stark shot two for 18 it was such a devastating loss. It was just, it was awful. However, I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to have that experience.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's great. So what, like why sports, you know?
2: So it's interesting. I I think I'll answer why marketing first and then I'll answer why sports. So I, as part of my undergrad degree, I was required to do an internship, and I was a communications major, and I originally thought that I wanted to do television. I wanted to be the person holding the camera. I love storytelling, and I loved telling stories, so I thought, oh, okay, you know what? Um, I could do, I could be the behind the scenes of some type of show. So I did an internship at Madison Square Garden Network. And I worked in the programming department and Andrew, I hated it. It was just like, I'm like, I don't want to work in television. Like this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And ironically enough, where I sat, I sat next to the ad sales folks and the marketing folks who did, who were doing ad sales for the Knicks and the Rangers. And I was much more interested in what they were doing than what I was doing. And I learned a lot during that internship. Don't get me wrong, but it's it, it was really it was one of the key lessons of that internship was learning what you didn't want to do yeah. so i went yeah. back to school and i took a marketing course and i just fell in love with marketing i i fell in love with the psychological part of marketing where you're able to tell a story and convince a consumer that they need your product and they need your service so As part of, you know, again, just learning how to network, Um, I stayed in contact with the HR people who hired me for my internship at the garden. And after I got my undergraduate degree, there were back then, not to date myself again, um, (laughs) it was called temp work. So, um, I started doing, I started working in multiple departments at Madison Square Garden and the first department that I worked in was in boxing. And I was like, wow, it was like, sports is really cool. And then I went from, from boxing to hockey. I worked at the Rangers and I was like, okay, I was like, sports is my thing. Like, I really want to work in this space. And then I was lucky enough to land an entry-level job with the Knicks. Nice. Yeah.
1: Uh, That's cool. I mean that's it's. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but I have this series on Fridays. You know, it's it's called Free Agent Friday. So it's um, it's yeah. little interviews with with people who have been laid off or whatever with COVID, and uh, a lot of times I I you know ask when they first got into you know wanting to work in sports, and it's it's cool to see the different you know answers. But a lot of people didn't even think of sports as a career. You know, it's like you think of just the players or coaches and, and, you know, kind of just like yourself, you know, you, you had an internship and then all of a sudden you're pivoting, you know, and and that's, (laughs) that's the cool thing. I mean, you, you have to be able to do that and you want to do something that you're going to enjoy. I mean, that's the one thing I've, I've learned is, you know, follow your passion, um, and the rest will follow. So for
2: sure, for sure, for sure.
1: So, So when you went like throughout your career, how often did relationships come into play for your advancement? Like, you know, when you went from, let's just say you were with the Knicks and you went to Walt Disney and that was a short, you know, stint, but to get back to the NBA, did relationships help that because you were already, you know, in the Knicks, you know, a few years prior?
2: Well, you know, it's very interesting. The, the, the reason that I got the opportunity At Disney was through a relationship at first somewhat she worked. Actually, she's still with the NBA There was a woman who handled a player talent relations at the time at the NBA and she used to come to the new games all the time. And we were very, very friendly and you know when you're young and you're just starting out. You're not you're not focusing on developing relationships or, you know, networking for, you know, that's probably, that definitely for me wasn't top the of bottom top of the list. list yeah. Right. It was not at the top of the list. Right. I just wanted to go to work, do my job and do it a hundred percent, you know, hundred and give 150% and just learn and learn and learn. Cause I, I knew eventually, you know, that I wanted to, to climb up the corporate ladder. So um this woman said to me she's like look she's like i know someone down at disney they're building this marketing team she's like i thought that you would be a great addition to the team and i was like okay sure i was like look i'll put my resume together and you know i gave it to her so that was like the first it was like okay this is really cool that she thought of me and um when i got to disney everything the the person that i worked for at disney was huge on He was like, you know, the way that you get things done within this company, because it's so big, it's all based on relationships. So it then started to bubble up to the top. But when I think about going from Disney to the NBA, many again, back then, the NBA used to publish this little book and it was like, you know, the NBA directory. And, um, I went through it and I was like, okay, you know what? I want to work in this department. Let me see who this, you know, who's the head of that department. And I remember sending a cover letter and a resume and, um, you know, when I got a call, I was like, wow, I was like, this is great. And I, and I know for a fact that I work, me working on the team side helped, um, but back then, you know, sending cover letters and resumes was a thing. So, um, you know, I can say that, that when I got to the MBA, building relationships was then at the forefront because I was like, okay, you know what, not only am I going to learn from these people, um, and really understand their job, which is going to make me a better marketer, but you know what, at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, it's all about having good relationships. So I will say that, You know, when that, I'll share a story. When I interviewed for the next job, the person that I was interviewing with, he and I went to the same undergrad. I graduated a year ahead of him. And after, when they called me back for the second interview, the recruiter said to me, She's like, Elisa, why didn't you tell me? that you know you guys went to the same undergrad and i said to her i said because i didn't want that to be a chip you know to help me get the job i'm like i wanted to get the job based on my own merit and not just because we went to the same college so it was it's very interesting (laughs) because i feel like i'm i'm an admitted workaholic i'm a workhorse And my philosophy is that I just wanted to get these opportunities based on my own merit. And, but then fast forward to the Apple opportunity there, it was a colleague from the NBA who I had run into. We had reconnected and he left the NBA and he went to Apple and he was like, look, he's like, I think you would be great. Do you mind if I recommend you? And I was like, sure. So I think relationships, that's a long winded way of saying relationships are really, really important. And I think that during this time, Andrew, one of the things that has been really, really key, you know, during this COVID period is, you know, not only not only reconnecting with your network, but it's also too about paying it forward um and i think that you know lending a hand because there's so many amazing people that are in the you know that are free agents right now and i think that we all have to help each other so knowing people and you know um working not working that's not the right word nurturing those relationships are key because someone, you know, if you're interviewing for a job and someone says, Oh, do you know, Andrew? I could say, yeah, I know Andrew. Um, because that's, that's all how we're, it's, we're all interconnected in this industry. So I think that networking is and personal relationships are really, really important.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I know a lot of times if I am looking to hire somebody and someone I know recommends somebody or I see that there's a connection and I ask about it, that always it gives you more, more comfort, you know, and, you know, as a hiring person. So definitely hurt, doesn't hurt. But, you know, I think also, you know, from kind of your, your path, I mean, just producing, doing a good job at what you do and getting the respect of your peers, because then you have other people like, Hey, you know what? She's legit. Let's get her over here or or whatever, you know? So, you know, I think the, the combination of the two, you know, obviously you, 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 it's tough if you don't produce uh anyway but uh you know being able to produce and then build those relationships um cuz it is a small world in sports and entertainment I mean yeah. you're you've if if you don't know the person you're connected to somebody that does I'm sure yep, and for sure and for sure. you know that's the the good thing as long as you do it right yeah so, uh so like where was your first you know, kind of leadership role in marketing and how, how did that transition go for you? Like going from uh, being
0: part of the team to leading that department. In a world where people are more aware and plugged in than ever, it's not enough to just have a great product. Consumers are looking for brands they can relate to. That's where Egghead Creative comes in. Everything I do is powered by deepening the connection with your brand every time you do business with them, they'll build a bespoke team of highly specialized creatives designed specifically around what you need. For more information, visit eggheadcreativestudio.com. That's E-G-G-H-E-A-D creativestudio.com. Or follow them on Instagram at eggheadcreativestudio. Now back to the show. So,
1: like, where was your first, you know, kind of leadership role in marketing, and how how did that transition go for you? Like, going from uh, being part of the team to leading that department.
2: Yeah, so I think my first leadership opportunity came when I was actually with the Knicks, and I was given the responsibility to manage. What the, what they they were called Garden Service Representatives, and that was the team that helped us do the give the in arena giveaways. So back when I worked with the next, we used to do a lot of giveaways. So we didn't have an internal team to help us give away, you know, twenty thousand, you know, rally towels. So I was in charge of the part time team that helped us do the distribution. And I think that was like the first time that it was like, okay, you know what, despite the fact that they were part timers, you know, they were a pretty big team. Um, so I had to do everything from the scheduling, the payroll, and really get them motivated to do what they were supposed to do. And then fast forward to when I was at HBO, it was really the first time that I had someone d- reporting directly into me. and it was a marketing assistant, and this person was full- time and I had to help, you know guide, okay, what are you what are you working on? You know what are the priorities? How are we gonna get all this work done? So it's really interesting because some people don't like to manage people. Um, I have always found, I look at it as an opportunity to not only share knowledge, but also to, you know, to be a team. And because everyone is different and everyone thinks of things differently. So for me, when I think about managing people and leading people, it's all about, okay, how are we the best collective minds put together and how do I, how do I set everybody up for success? How do I make them better? How do I give them the resources? And I'm not the type of, I'm not the type of manager and or leader that because I'm the head of the department that I have all the answers because that's just, that's, I think being very, very short sighted. So, um, the, the gentleman that I worked with at HBO, he and I, we were a great team. And then fast forward to when I went, when I landed my job at the Nets, that was the first big team that I led. Um, there were 15 people within the department and that was everyone from the marketing team, the creative team. And it was just, it was very interesting because it was like, okay, how do we, how do we work collectively? Everyone was so different. How do we work collectively to put forth the best product? And I think that from a leadership perspective, for me, it's about listening and it's about really knowing, and and I, and I know this now, I didn't know, I, it wasn't my thought process at the time, how it was, how do you bring the best out in people and focus on their strengths and not their weaknesses? And, you know, that was, that was, I learned that along the way, because when I started with the net, there were 15 people on the team fast forward 7 years later there were 62 people on the team and i oh, that team and it was it was fascinating like to see but i at that point it was like okay you know what we need to get the best out of people because not everyone not everyone's going to think through the same thing but if you're able to say this is the goal this is what your role is within this goal. And you give people clarity and you get, and you outline what they're expected to do. I think it really helps them.
1: Yeah. I think giving them that direction is, is huge. Uh, but man, that's a lot of people to manage. Ah. And especially when you're trying to, you know, develop and then, uh, implement, you know, your campaigns. And so that's, that's pretty cool. I've, I've done it at a small level, you know, even, you know, I've, I've owned a small marketing agency, you know, at the max, we had five people, but you know, kept it nice and small. And, yeah. um, I started that because I was tired of outsourcing with all the teams that I've had. So we said, my wife and I were like, let's just create our own company. We'll hire people that can do what we don't <laughs> know how to do.
2: Right, <laughs> right.
1: So that's how it all started. But I, it's, you know, it's very, very micro, uh, but it worked. It was good. It was fun. That's
2: great. That's awesome.
1: I, I love the uh, the creative side. During your career, what is you know a campaign or a program maybe that you are part of that you are most proud of?
2: Oh well, I have to say, "Hello, Brooklyn" is the the campaign that I'm most most proud of. And I, you know, I relish the, the, the work that was done for that campaign and, you know, everything from the, the data that we had, being part of the process of understanding, like, what we wanted to accomplish, how we were going to really change people's minds in regards to the perception of this team and you know we were going from new jersey to brooklyn and literally it's only 13 miles i <laughs> but you would have thought that people thought that we were moving to the uk because it's like brooklyn brooklyn's the whole new world but learning about brooklyn learning about brooklyn and it was just it was an amazing an amazing experience and to be part of that team i think i that that's at the top of the list And then uh, the rebrand of Arco in Miami was also very, very special. And they're different. And, you know, I feel the same in regards to how special they both are. The biggest difference is in Miami, you know, it wasn't the team had uh, has you know a a long history since the franchise launch were with the nets since we were going from new jersey to brooklyn we were almost an expansion team so it was almost like we had a fresh start so and you know in miami just understanding you know if i spoke to 15 people 15 people gave me the same yet this a different opinion of the marlins and but it was very, very special. And you know, we were able to in Miami, we were able to infuse the rebrand into the communities. So in Miami, um street art is is very, very prevalent. I mean, it's like everywhere you you turn, there's beautiful um these beautiful murals. And one of as we were thinking about okay, how are we going to be everywhere? When we launched this, we were able to identify seven, you know, key neighborhoods in Miami where we were like, okay, we we want to do a mural of the Marlins, and when we launch, that they'll be everywhere. So that was really, really special because that was, I don't think that you're that anyone would be able to replicate that tactic in any other city. So it was it was really special, and I think that those two. Would
1: bubble to the top well that's that's the other cool thing that you have to really be good at uh from your standpoint is identifying the markets because I mean you know sports, the cities you know the cultures are different everywhere, so yeah. identifying that is is crucial, yeah. but so when you were with Brooklyn, well, the nets, so you were there a year a little over a year before moved 18, into Brooklyn yep 18. so how walk me through like that process because like on one hand you still are marketing the nets in New Jersey. I take it to yep. hopefully have fans and yep. and something. And then yep. you're also trying to prepare for Brooklyn. So yeah. kind of walk me through that whole like process.
2: Yeah. So it was a very, very interesting process. Um, so we were a tenant at Prudential Center and it was a lame duck season because everyone knew that the Nets were leaving. So we had, we had our KPIs in regards to, okay, these are the tickets that we need to sell to get people into the arena. And what we did from a sales perspective, we, and, and we had rules of engagement on how much we could promote Brooklyn at uh, Prudential Center. So from a sales perspective, we started um, just promoting the premium offerings. So the suites, you know, the quartzite seats. So and then at the same time, our part time job was, <laughs> you know, to put together the strategy and the planning to launch Brooklyn, the Nets in Brooklyn. So it was, it was really interesting when I, and I think that this is important to note when I arrived at the Nets, the logo was already done and the uniform was already done. So I came in we needed to do the court design and we needed to figure out, okay, how are we going to launch this? So we worked very, very closely with Adidas and research was really, really key. Um, Our internal analytics team had done some research and we knew, Andrew, that only less than 10% of our season ticket holders were going to go from Brooklyn, I'm sorry, from New Jersey to Brooklyn, right? Despite the fact that it was going to only be 13 miles away, New Jersey folks were not coming to Brooklyn. So that was the reason that that was so key for us was because we thought, okay, how are we going to launch this? we know what we need to achieve. How are we going to get there? So we actually took the mentality and adapted the thought process of, okay, you know what? We're going to launch this. Like we're an expansion team, right? We're going to start from the bottom up and our community relations team at that point, it had already, they had, they had like two years, I think it was like two or three years where they would do like maybe one or two events in Brooklyn. So they were almost like seeding, okay, the Nets are coming, the Nets are coming, the Nets are coming. So it was great because the community relations team was one step ahead of the marketing team because they had already started building relationships in Brooklyn. And from our perspective, so we had internal data and then we had Adidas, who at the time was um, the league outfitter, had also done research. And we worked in conjunction with them in terms of, okay, you know what, we're doing, we're working on the court design, and we're working on the court design because, and we're working with Adidas because we need to understand how the uniforms came to be and the thought process there, right? So it's all interconnected because from a storytelling perspective, it's, it was really, really, really key that the story was aligned and that everything connected. So, um, you know, when we thought about the launch and, in, you know, we were going to introduce this, you know, the new logo, the team to Brooklyn, we had research, we had characteristics about what was important to Brooklyn Knights. And one of the things that was really important to us was we didn't wanna come into Brooklyn like the big bad NBA. We wanted to come into Brooklyn with the voice from inside the borough. So we knew that we wanted to come in in a very humble and authentic way because we only had, you only have one time to make an impression, right? So that's where, you know, the simplicity of Hello Brooklyn is so, it's so beautiful because it was inspired by a jay-z song and it's just what's the first thing that you say to someone when you meet them you say hello so that was a very very natural fit and you know we took we wanted to be everywhere we launched on april 31st and at the time we only had four players on the roster Darren Williams at the time, hadn't committed to playing in Brooklyn, so we knew that, okay, we're gonna unveil this logo. We don't have a full roster of of players. How are we gonna get this? How are we gonna break through the clutter? So it was really from the you know, from the ground up, and um when we launched, we were everywhere. I mean, we had you know from from a visual perspective. Billboards. I mean, we were everywhere in Brooklyn, and that that morning, we actually did these beautiful little books, and um, we went to the the top five highly trafficked subway stations, and we handed out these books. So it was the thought process there was, okay, you know what, let's get the story into Brooklyn Knights so that they're going to go home and they're going to read this and they're going to be like, wow, you know what I have, this is now my new team. So it was, um, it was really, it was, it was, it was a lot of work, but it was, it was amazing. And, you know, it's just, I think that from a storytelling perspective, the most important thing was that everything had to interconnect so that when people heard the story, they, there was an emotional hub to, okay, you know what, this is now Brooklyn's team.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's, yeah. that's cool to be part of, you know, that historic, you know, change. And yeah. I've not been to that arena yet. I'd love to get up there at some point. Um, because, uh, man, it's been a while since I've been to New York City. Yeah, only when I went to to the Knicks, probably the last time in the '90s, that I was actually in New York City. So, yeah. um, I got to get back. My kid, my my son's never even been there. So,
2: yeah. So maybe Andrew, maybe you know when the when when sports hopefully comes back sooner rather than later, you go to Barclays Center and you catch a Knicks Nets game. You know. Yeah it's yeah, a, it's yeah, it's an amazing an amazing venue um it's so beautiful and the experience there you know we were all trained by disney the staff is still trained by disney and it's really about providing a great um guest experience
1: so when you you know you were with with the nets and then is that the reason why the Marlins wanted you is because you had that experience in kind of rebranding or relaunching the Nets or was it just your other experience that was more important for them?
2: And um, That's actually a good question and I don't know how to answer it. I think that it was the overall package. I think that they were looking for someone with a marketing experience, someone who, uh, who understands you know the interest them you know what goes into selling tickets um especially at a in a market where you know in miami you're not competing with the other teams at least this was my experience Mm. you weren't competing with we weren't competing with the heat the dolphins or the panthers we were competing with the Miami lifestyle. Yeah. So I think that for them, they, they, it was, they wanted someone with a solid marketing experience um, and someone who had worked in sport. Um, and I also think, look, in full transparency, I also think that the fact that I'm Latina is, you know, helps me get to, you know, bubble up to the top because there aren't many people in the sports industry, that have my background, my credentials, and are also Latina, so I think that yeah. helped
1: too. So, was it um, the Florida Marlins then before no. that rebranch? Or because uh, so it was Miami for a little while, right? Yeah, so it yeah. was just more of the branding side yeah. and
2: yeah. okay, the visuals. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell new- you
1: what, I love that stadium. I I always hear like people in Miami don't like it or something, but it's like what, Like this is perfect. It's yeah. it's it's clean. It's you know it's it's intimate uh i mean i don't i don't get it but miami's a tough market what do you think you know did you do anything that kind of helped get over that that hump at all i know just miami in general for sports has been tough it's been yeah. tough to get fans out there it's been you know kind of a struggle mm-hmm. um, i'm not from there but i've gone to games i i think the stadium's convenient to get to from at least Orlando driving down it wasn't like I noticed it bad it it didn't seem like it was uh you know i wasn't s I wasn't worried about safety like right around the stadium, so that wasn't a concern um you know the pricing's the pricing, but um I know that there's a million options yep to for entertainment down there,
2: and I think so there's a few things that we did. So I'll talk about what what the team did on the business side. One was they reset the pricing so that it was affordable and you know the entry price was as low as $10. The team also worked with a concessionaire to develop a menu that was affordable so you could get a hot dog for three dollars you could get a soda you know for three dollars you could get a beer for five dollars so the thought of having because when you go to a sporting event food is so integral right and such a Important part of the experience. So the fact that you know the team looked at the food offerings and look, it was just like you could get a taste of Miami and you could get pincho or you know you could get ceviche. But you know what? At the end of the day, if you're a family of four, you could get a hot dog for three dollars. Um, so those those were the two things that were really key um, as part of the you know as we were trying to grow the game of baseball in Miami and then. From a marketing perspective, one of the things that we did was it our whole focus was, okay, we need to get people, we need to drive ticket sales, we need to get people into the into the ballpark. However, how do we garner that the affinity for the brand at a young age? So what we did was we spun we decided to go from grassroots up. So we decided to sponsor T ball teams. So in Miami, all kids play, well, not all kids, but a lot of kids play T ball. And it's like, okay, so let's grab them when they're five, six years old and they're just starting because our thought process was these are the fans of tomorrow. So our first year, Andrew, our goal was to have 100 teams to be, to be part of our ecosystem, and we exceeded that expectation and that goal. Excuse me, and we we got 132 teams to sign up. Thanks. So we provided the the Miami Marlins provided t-shirts, caps, um, and then the 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 equipment, the t-ball and the ball, um, to the teams. And what was really great was when the season started for these kids to start playing um, baseball was, you know, on occasion I would get a text that would say, oh, I'm on Miami beach. You know, I'm at the local diner and a bunch of little kids just came in wearing Miami Marlin t-shirts. So it was these teams, you know, benefited from us providing them equipment at no cost. And from our perspective and a brand perspective, we had these little, you know, thousands of kids running around getting all over. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was, it was a great win for all of us. And I think that when I think about what they're, what the team has to accomplish, I think that was the step in the right direction because you were getting these young kids who were just learning how to play the game. And they were representing their local team on their chest. So, and then when they went to, you know, the baseball games, because prov- we provided tickets to them, they then got to see the guys play on the field that had Miami across their chest. So it was an aspirational thing too. So,
1: Yeah. And those kids, those are the memories that they remember. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to stick with them. And that's where that, that loyalty, you know, starts coming yeah. from. So yeah. no, that's a great idea. Yeah. Put that down there. So you've got all, you know, you, you've kind of had some some amazing, you know, uh, positions at amazing times with, with, you know, iconic organizations. So what's kind of like the dream job?
2: Well, I think I've already had the dream job, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to become chief marketing officer for Brooklyn sports and entertainment while I was there. And that was like, that was like the ultimate goal. And I think that now as I think to what's next, I think what's important to me is to be part of an organization that, you know, that we're aligned from a values perspective and that I'm able to lead a team and really help drive the business forward. So it's, it's, it's really interesting because as driven as I am, as passionate as I am about everything that I do, I've already, you know, I've already checked the box of the dream job. So I think that moving forward, you know, leading a team is really, really important to me and being a contributor and being able to help a company move its business forward. I think like that's that would be the ideal next job. If I could get, have those three things, then you know what, then I'd hit the jackpot again.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you've already hit the jackpot a few times. So, <laughs> I mean,
2: it's, it's,
1: it's only a matter of time. I mean, with, yeah. you know, the experience that you have and what you've been able to build, you know, I'm just talking to you, you know, um, I'm going to be watching to see that next opportunity, but you're doing some other stuff to keep busy too right yeah. now. What's, um, Kick it by EP.
2: Yeah, so Kick it by EP um, was born in April, right after I was furloughed. And again, it was about flipping the narrative. Uh, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, I was like, wow, I can't believe that. You know, like this just happened to me. Um, so how do I flip it around and how do I pay it forward? So. I started this IG live series that happens on Tuesday and and Thursdays. It's at 12 o'clock and it's really a platform to allow women to tell their story. And you know, in the sports and entertainment industry, specifically on the sports side, It's very male dominated. And I thought to myself, this is a time where we need to lift each other up and be able to tell our stories. So I started, you know, and I thought, Oh, you know, let's see how this goes. And it's been amazing. And so the format of the the IG Um, series is you, you know, the guest comes on for 20 minutes and at the end, the only thing that I ask is that they provide three career insights to those watching, because I think that it's a platform, not only to, for people to tell their story, but it's also an inspirational, um, you know, opportunity to inspire other people because being unemployed and going through what so many people are going through is really, really hard. So if we can impact just one person on a tuesday and a thursday then i feel like i've done my job um so it's been really really great we've i've had i've hosted over 40 chats and it's just been amazing and i've gotten a great response and the community has grown to over 400 plus um so you know my vision is to continue to grow it and to just give people the opportunity to tell their stories, then to hopefully, you know, at the end of the day, it's about educating, inspiring, and paying it forward.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. and You know, it's, you kind of see, there's a lot of people out there getting creative like that during this time. I mean, I would have never had a podcast before this. I got (laughs) bored, and I was like, let's, try to better myself by talking to some, some smart people and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, meet, meet some new people. Um, yeah, and yeah. then the free agent Friday's kind of evolved from that into, you know, helping people. So it's definitely, uh, been good. So is your Instagram lives, are they also archived then? So people can go back yes. or, yes, okay. Yes. Yep.
2: Yep. And the handle is at it by EP. So it's, it's very interesting, right? So like the learning curve, I, I first started doing them and they would just live on, on the IG stories. And then I was like, I had a guest who was like, Oh, can I get a recording of this, of, you know, of our, of our conversation? And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I figured it out, but now like Andrew, now I can like edit, not, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I'm still a rookie, but I can at least edit the videos. So, um, I now, so they go on live and then I let them, you know, live, um, for a few hours and then I record them. And then I, I put, I push out a replay.
1: Do you, um, put any on YouTube or, yes. um,
2: yep. and then so do you fair. do
1: your, like a podcast at all? Like do you put it on any podcast platforms or anything? No, no okay.
2: they're not on a podcast um, platform. I do load them up onto YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel, okay. um, but mm-hmm. I don't load them up in onto any podcast platforms because I think that the great, what I love about the IG lives is that it's so it's like in the moment, right? It's like, you could see our facial expressions and, you know, people are interacting in the comments. So, um, and it's just, it's so authentic to the moment. Um, so I've had a few people ask me, well, why don't you just turn that into a podcast? And I'm like, I think like, it, I'm just, I don't know. I like the, the interaction with, uh, with um, the community members um, to, to have it be like live in the moment.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm trying to get to the, I just got approved on LinkedIn to be live.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So, now I'm trying to okay, well. Now, how do I go live? <laughs> so so that's the next thing. I'm going to start I'm going to start working on that, but that's that's going to be the next chapter of uh, what what I'm doing. So, I'm that's I'm excited. Awesome. But no, I want to thank you for joining me. It was it was great chatting with you, learning more about, you know, how those things work at the level that uh, that you were at um yeah. very excited for you
2: yeah well thank you so much andrew i really you know appreciate you reaching out to me and a shout out to travis apple for connecting us
1: thanks travis
2: thank yeah thanks <laughs> travis so thank you thank you so much and i look forward to staying in touch
0: Hey, podcast fans. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Andrew Haynes Show. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to Andrew on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.